concepts of liberty and hope are often missing in modern dialogue. Our culture is far more concerned with talking about suffering and drawing attention to issues than it is liberating people from such places of chaos. Part of this is because powerful people have built their public influence on their ability to simply point at problems, and they do nothing more than simply point at problems for two reasons. One, they would lose their relevance if the problems went away, and secondly, because they actually have no power to address the true problems that affect the world. Sin is the root cause of fallen creation, and sin runs deeper than we can see. It's something which is not easily observed, the ramifications of sin. And if people are to ever find true hope and liberty, then it must come from God in the form of cleansing sin. For sin is the curse that runs through our bloodline, and it's been with us since our most ancient ancestors made that one fatal mistake there in the garden. And it causes our eternal souls to rot and our world to perpetually move down the chaotic line of entropy. But thankfully, Christ Jesus came that we might find true hope and liberty. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and I thank you for joining me today. And I'm also not alone here in the studio, Cord Purgatory. There is another one here with us. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And Anthony will be reading some scripture for us here in a little bit. But before we get there, I want to provide some context for this message. We're going to be talking about liberty and hope today. Now, you might use another synonym for hope and say aspirations. The idea that we're not reduced down to our lowest common denominator, the lowest sin or carnal nature that we have, our lowest desires, or even the lowest levels of our will. You see, true liberty means that we are free from that which is destroying our eternal soul. When Jesus heals a paralytic, he first forgives the man of his sins, and it was necessary for him to do so if Jesus was to bring liberty to this man. Being paralyzed is tragic. But it pales in comparison to the eternal decay of a soul, which is caused by sin. All of our bodies will experience problems if we live long enough. But such illnesses can only harm the body. It is sin which will endure long after the body is gone. Therefore, if Jesus is a merciful God, his desire to liberate people must turn in the direction of sin. And that is exactly what Jesus does. He comes to people and he doesn't just stay looking at their superficial characteristics, but he turns his attention to sin so that he can liberate people from it. This cleansing is something that only God can do, and Jesus desires that we have liberty and hope. And thus, he directs his attention to the place of true liberty. Sadly, there are many in our world who would reject the eternal hope and liberty that is found in the gospel. And today, we're going to discuss the hope which is found in the gospel according to St. Matthew, and we're going to look at three different texts which are found in chapters 8 and 9. And I really want us to use these three different scriptures as reference points, and we may use them beyond this particular program. In fact, as we go forwards, I may reference back to these stories quite a bit because they're so important in telling us who we are and how the gospel brings us hope. The first story we're going to talk about today is when Jesus cleanses a leper. And the second is when Jesus casts out demons. And the third is when Jesus heals a paralytic. All of these stories are pretty short, but they tell us a lot about who we are, how sin works, and how Jesus is the only one capable of giving us hope and liberty. So, without any hesitation, Brother Anthony, would you lead us in our first scripture? So we're just going to go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, and just read the first four verses in that. So not a long text. Anthony, would you read us in that? When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, See that you say nothing 
to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Suffering is intrinsic to life in a fallen world. But we were not designed to be creatures of suffering. God did not design us to be creatures of suffering, and we can never forget that. And while we may experience different forms of suffering, the fact that we live in lives that often have misery and different mires around us, that doesn't make us unique, though our circumstances may be different. This was never meant to be our story, and it was never meant to be such a profound part of life that the entirety of our lives would be shaped around our unique sufferings. For this man who is a leper, he runs around and has to scream, unclean, unclean. His whole life is organized around his suffering. For many of us, they, we find that things in life, they come and they define who we are. But this is not who we were designed to be, and this is not the way that God desires that we live. And when this man comes to Jesus, he is making a profound question. He is asking something of Jesus that is very personal to him, but he is also speaking for every one of God's creature who has hit that moment in life where the suffering is just too great to bear. He comes before his Lord and makes this statement. If you desire it, you have the power to make me clean. Now we read this in English and we find something like, if you, you know, if you will, you, you can make me clean. But really, if we go back and we read this text for what it's saying, the text contains two prominent words in Greek. It contains theles and dunasai. Theles means to wish, to desire, to want something. And dunasai has the same root as our word for dynamite. It means that you have the, the power to do something. It's not just that you, you know, you can do it or simply saying that, that it's something which you may like happening. It means you have the power to make it happen. It's got that same root as a dynamite. When this creature comes before his Lord, he states the truth of reality. He says, if the Lord desires to cleanse me, he has the power to do it. And in this moment, Jesus liberates the man with the simple response saying, I desire it. Or in the Greek word, we find just thelo, a single word response, telling us that God wishes that we have liberty from the horrors that we find in life. After the man is liberated from leprosy, he is sent away to make a sacrifice. And this is so that he can start a new life that's no longer organized around being a leper. He is freed from his prison of leprosy. Jesus does not spend time talking about how someone needs to bring justice to the lepers. Instead, he does something no man can do and liberates the man. He doesn't sit around talking about how this precious creature lives a life of circumstances that no one else could ever imagine. He simply comes to the man and heals him. This precious creature has been liberated from its miserable prison and it's set free to live a new life that is no longer defined by leprosy. In this, there is hope and liberty brought to this man that only Christ Jesus can bring. Let's go on to our second text as we add these three different scriptures here for reference. Anthony, if you would pick up in the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demoniacs coming out of the tombs met him. They were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, a large herd of swine was feeding some distance from them. The demons begged him, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and entered the swine, and entered the whole herd. Suddenly, the whole herd had rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. 
The swineherds ran off, and on going into town, they told the whole story about what had happened to the demoniacs. Then the whole town came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. One of the fascinating aspects of this story is that Jesus does not consult the persons whom the demons possessed. The demoniacs, which are the people possessed by the demons, they're never consulted by Jesus. However, that does not mean that he does not care for them. These creatures are in such a horrific state that they do not really have any control over what they say or do. There is literally something else inside of them, controlling their mind, controlling their body. And this is not how humans were designed to live. God designed people in his own image, that we would have will, that we would have an ability to think and make choices of our own volition. And even though these people are not able to voice their pain, Jesus knows what is best for them. Even better than they do. And God knows what we need better than any of us. Our lives are far more complicated than we are able to analyze them. But God, who looks at us with omnipresence, knows our every need. Now, for whatever reason, the townspeople in this text do not want the hope and liberty offered by Jesus. They would much rather have the demoniacs in their cemetery. Jesus casts out the demons, and the townspeople want to cast out Jesus. And they come to Jesus begging him to leave. Now, there are many people in our world who don't want righteous transformation. There are many people who do not want any sort of holiness in their town. They say, get the righteous transformation out. They come begging for it to leave. They don't want people to actually be liberated from their suffering. It's more convenient for them to pretend their designs for society and how society should look are more important than God's design for society. We do see that in this text. There are people here. They've got it all figured out. You know, they think they know better than Jesus what is best for their society. If the demoniacs are possessed by demons in the cemetery, fine, so be it. They know what is good for themselves. But yet, this really isn't true. And it's quite ludicrous if we look at this from the outside. God knows what we need, and only God can fix the problems that come from sin. God did not design people to be possessed by forces that shut down their minds and make them into hideous monsters. Only God can liberate people. And any solution we have for oppression in our world must begin with submitting to God's authority to forgive sin and realize that all people, including both the oppressors and the oppressed, are sinners in need of cleansing. All hope and liberty must begin with repentance of sin and holy transformation into what God designed us to be, not who we want to be. Without this basis, any solution is doomed to failure. Now, there are a lot of people in our world who will look around and say, well, if somebody is the victim of something, how could they ever be a sinner? How could they ever need repentance? But the truth of the gospel is everyone needs repentance. Everyone needs that change of ways so that they can live as God designed us to be. And the truth of the world is that even though there are people who think they've got things sorted out, only God is really the one who is able to bring resolution. God's design for a society is oftentimes very, very different from what humans think it should look like. And there are a lot of people, and as we'll get to our next scripture, we'll find people who should know better, who oftentimes do not. There are people who think they are the ones who have the power to design society. And whenever we do not start with this premise that God has the authority to cleanse sins and that we all need our sins cleansed, we find that we are just simply townspeople begging Jesus to leave because we think we know what is best for society. And this is what a society without God looks like. It has some people living oppressed, some people living more comfortably, and those who live comfortably are begging the power of hope and liberty to leave. That's what a society without God looks like. 
There's always going to be suffering in life, and even the people who live comfortable still have an amount of suffering. But the truth of it is, is that oftentimes we see societies without God, they beg liberty and hope to leave because they think they've got it figured out better than God does. They think they've got all the pieces put together, they have all the answers figured out, and they just want to beg the holiness of God to leave. They hope and beg that Jesus himself will leave with his true and pure hope, which is greater than anything they can offer. Now, let's go on to our third text for today, and this is Matthew chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. So we're going to go right into Matthew 9. Anthony, if you would pick up there. And then some people were carrying a paralyzed man, lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Then some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. And he stood up and went to his home. Creation was not meant to be a place of suffering. The fall happened as a result of people deciding they could do better at determining good and evil than God. Pastor Amanda, who co-hosts with us on our main program that we put out every Friday, she presented a very intriguing angle to the story of Adam and Eve. And... When we look at this text, she kind of suggests that it's not so much that God doesn't want humanity to have any knowledge of good and evil, but rather that God wanted to sit with them in the cool of the day and teach them as they matured. It was when they consumed the fruit bearing the knowledge of good and evil that they broke away from God's design. They prematurely and out of order and out of the correct design of things learned what good and evil was on their own terms rather on the terms that God had laid out for them. And whenever people think they are better at determining when they should know things and when they should know good and evil than God, they often are setting up the world for suffering. No matter how good people believe their intentions to be, if their actions do not line up with the will of God, then they will add suffering to the world. Now, that being said, I want to add a side note here that says one of the beautiful ironies of history is that sometimes God's will is carried out by people in spite of their own intentions to ignore God. And we see cases like Jonah to give an example of this. But back to our text here in Matthew 9, the scribes in this text think they have a solid grasp on good and evil. They have great educations, they're the elites in society, and they are the people who should be respected by all around them. Yet God the Son is standing before them and giving liberty to a man, and they think it is blasphemy. This is really what's happening in this text. The people who should have been in tune with the Jewish customs Liberty is being given to a man, and they confuse it with blasphemy. Anthony. And uh, I've also got to say that um, a lot of times it's easy for us outside of this situation and outside of this place and time to look back on it and think, wow, what a bunch of you know pieces of garbage <laughs> or something like that. But to be honest, I mean, would it be all that far out there to imagine ourselves seeing someone else use the authority of God in such a way that we had not seen before and to challenge it. I mean, seriously, I mean, it would be hard for me, especially as someone who had spent time studying the law, living according to it and teaching it to others, watch this guy show up on the scene and use the authority of God and not say or at least think anything about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, in spite of the scribe's best intentions here, they wildly misdiagnose the situation. They go so far and they're so absorbed in their own understanding of good and evil that they can't even see what's in front of them. They can't comprehend the liberty that is being given to this man. And that's definitely part of the scary part is that uh, we never suspect that we are the scribes, you know? Yeah. The scribes don't suspect it. Whenever you are the scribe in this situation, you don't expect it, you know? And hopefully uh, you'll your heart will be open whenever Christ says, which is easier, for me to forgive this man's sin or for me to bless him in such an amazing way? You know, one of the things that you see kind of going around in our modern world, you see problems happening and people say, well, you know, education is the way you solve these problems. No, God is the antidote to sin. Christ Jesus is the antidote to sin. Um, education is not the antidote to sin. And in fact, you look throughout history, people like Cain, he's actually the smart brother. You look at even the Lion King, Scar is the, the smart brother. And you look at history with, with real characters, aside from Scar, who's a you know fictional lion. But you look at real people throughout history, a lot of really wicked people are insanely smart and well-educated. Education is not the antidote to sin. All these people that kind of tout that, it's ridiculous. It's historically not true. And even within Scripture, religious education was not the antidote to sin. I mean, that's, that's just the truth of it. God is the antidote to sin. These scribes, they're so absorbed in their understanding of good and evil that they cannot comprehend what true liberty, what true hope looks like. Their highly educated understanding of religious law cannot comprehend what liberty is. And it's worth emphasizing, again, their education is in not just generic law, but it's actually in the Jewish religious law. The very people considered to be experts on morality cannot tell the difference between freedom and blasphemy. Uh, just think about that for a little while. This is really what the text is telling us. People who are educated, people who are supposed to be the experts on morality, they cannot tell the difference between blasphemy and freedom. They can't. They just can't. And it is a, yeah, it's something to, to revere. And God did not design people to be paralytics. Furthermore, the all-seeing eyes of God know that there is a curse even worse than paralysis. And this curse is sin. Jesus is teaching the crowd an important lesson in this moment. If people are to find real liberty, then it must start with their soul. No matter where people were at when they met Jesus, they must have their sins forgiven and find the holy transformation that comes from God. No single man, no collection of men, or no human institution in the world can provide the liberty that Christ Jesus can, for none possess the power and authority needed to do so. Part of the reason, when we look at our world around, we look at our culture, we see where we're at, that you hear a lot of language. You hear words that, that are about kind of togetherness, bringing people down, you know, what people look like and bringing people together. But you don't hear a lot of language that sounds like liberty or aspirations or transformation. You just don't hear words that are moving people out of that. It's Instead, we're kind of taught that, you know, moving up is a myth, you know, just come to the lowest part of, of the world. You don't ever really want to, to go past that. But the truth is the driving forces in our culture have figured out something. They figured out that it's not actually easy to elevate people out of suffering, and they're right in diagnosing that. They're, they're in part correct, but then they're in part very wrong. Our culture has taken notice of the fact that there are differences between people, and the sufferings people endure in life seem to be too great for some people to overcome. Some people have been able to break through things, others haven't, but the truth is that there's no easy route out of suffering. And people who believe they have good intentions, they look at the sufferings in the world and decide the only reasonable solution to it is to level the playing field and try to make it so that all people experience the same outcomes in life. 
Now, the problem with this is that these people, they're not God. And even if they think they are of God, they are not God themselves. Governments are not God. And if people are not willing to submit to the cleansing power of sin that is only found in God, and this is the only way to truly level the playing field and bring us towards God, then they have to result and return down to a lesser leveling of the playing field. And by lesser, I mean it reduces us down to our most carnal natures. It reduces us down to the carnal sufferings and sin. And to restate all of this more compactly, since no person possesses the power to raise people up, our culture has determined that the best thing to do is that we all stick together in the most desperate moments of life. Now, sadly, the unspoken conclusion of this, and the unspoken conclusion of this sort of culture, is that it remains in desperation. This is a culture without the gospel, and it is a culture without hope and liberty, two things which must come from God by necessity. Hope and liberty must come from a power and authority greater than our own, and it must be arbitrated by a viewpoint that is free of human limitation. God did not design us to be creatures of suffering, and we were not designed to be creatures who identified ourselves by our sufferings and our desires. God wants us to have liberty as creatures created in his image. There is no liberty without the law, as Charlton Heston says after receiving the Ten Commandments. And while Charlton Heston, we hope that he lives up to the, the truth of who Moses was, there is a lot of truth in that scene that is found in that movie. It's consistent with the logic of Scripture, even though it's not explicitly taken from Scripture. And this notion that there is no liberty without the law is something which would put a lot of people on edge, especially in our modern day and age. Because it's not obvious to people who think that they know better than God on how to deal with good and evil, why you would need the law and why the law actually brings you liberty. One of the things that God wants to liberate us from is bondage to our own will and our own desires. Now, if I just said that in a vacuum, that would sound very you know, cult-like, like everybody's kind of being brainwashed and turned into mindless holes. But I'm not saying this in a vacuum. It doesn't mean when God liberates us from our wills that we become people possessed like the demons were in Matthew 8. But instead it means that we have our minds cleansed, that our minds are transformed away from the corrupting thoughts of sin and towards the righteous state which they were originally meant for. Sin corrupts us. It pollutes us. The same way if you come into your house and you smell a foul stench, after a while you can't really figure out where it's at. It kind of pollutes your mind and you're no longer able to sense what is good and what is not. Sin blinds us from having clarity. And God desires that we have clarity. And actually, let me give you another example of what I'm talking about and one that you can participate in here right now. If I were to open up a book and start reading you technical details, and Anthony's here in the studio with me, so we've got someone who can immediately respond. Say I have some technical details that says you need 13 keys, 14 springs, 12 pads, 5 rings, 26 studs, 1 ligature, some wood, cork, and glue. Give you no context, nothing about that. What do you think I'm talking about, Anthony? What, what am I reading? Uh, yep, I've got no idea. <laughs> See, that, that's kind of how life is. There's all these pieces out there. And a lot of times our world will say, oh, you need nothing to guide you through life. You know, if I just say that out there, 13 keys, 14 springs, 12 pads, 5 rings, 26 studs, 1 ligature, some wood, cork, and glue, you're probably going to have no idea what I'm talking about. However, if I started off by saying I had the technical details of a clarinet, well, then all that might start to make sense. But even in saying that, I'm still going to throw people off because some of you out there are unfamiliar with clarinets. 
Anthony, probably one of them, unfamiliar with clarinets. Yes, I do not know what the ligature, the studs, the rings, I barely know what the wood on a clarinet is. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Even if you are familiar with clarinets and you think, well, I know what a clarinet is, you're going to say, hey, you don't have enough parts to make that. They have more keys than that. But that's because they would have assumed that I was talking about a modern clarinet and not an old Albert system clarinet like this one here, which has a lot less keys on it and is a much simpler design. And while we've got, you know, an old clarinet here, just use an example, it's a small thing in the course of creation. But the truth of it is, is the world is filled with a lot of complicated things. Our lives are complicated. We have all these parts. We have all these pieces. We see them, but we really don't know what to do with them unless we have some sort of direction. And the truth is, this is where we find liberty in the law. God tells us who we are. He tells us what his creation is. And he tells us how we are to live in it. It's like someone coming along and saying all those technical details, they're telling you to build a clarinet. You're not just to pile them up in a big ash heap, light it on fire, and let it go to waste. And the truth is, all of us are capable of missing the mark if we do not begin with God. Sometimes people are too smart to see the big picture because they think they know better. Other times people are so wrapped up in their desires or maybe even their sufferings that they are consumed by that and not the larger picture. But the truth is, we are all sinners and all in need of cleansing. And Jesus, he comes to us to bring us liberty. Jesus does not desire that we be imprisoned by the sufferings of life. Christ Jesus came as fully God, fully human, to teach us how we could find liberty from the curse of sin. And this curse of sin, it is eternal. The problems of the body, they are only temporary. And when people in our world, they look at problems in life, they say, oh, the government needs more laws to this. We need to regulate that. We need to regulate that. We look at acts of violence that go on in our world, and they say, oh, well, why aren't we making laws in this? But the truth of it, the laws do not stop sin. And even in times in history where the church has wanted to enforce, you know, biblical teaching as law and say that we know we need to punish sin with the government, it really starts blurring the lines between things, and it even starts corrupting the church because the truth of it is, is laws cannot stop sin. Laws are not the antidote to sin. Governmental laws, they can be good in helping us have tools to adjudicate problems once they've happened. Once somebody has broken criminal code, they help us adjudicate that. So, you know, laws are not inherently bad in that sense. But if we trick ourselves into thinking they're the antidote to sin, then we really have missed the mark. Because there's only one thing that is truly the antidote to sin, and that is the power of Christ Jesus. And that's where we're going to wrap up this message today. And again, this is part of our adventure of holiness, and we find on the adventure of holiness, the only thing that really liberates us is the power of Christ Jesus. Any final thoughts, Anthony, before we leave? Um, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in chapter 1 saying that he desires for them to speak the same or to agree and to be of the same mind and the same judgment. <clears throat> and so in class we were wondering, what is this agreement? What are they agreeing about? What are... Uh, what is the same judgment? What are these same minds? And it, it's really cognitively focused. It's sort of um, focused on the things which are a little bit abstract, I think, given the language. But um, we were wondering, what is this unity that Paul is expecting of the church? And I think mind and judgment are important here. And also, the, everywhere in the surrounding context, Paul is reminding them that they have unity in Christ, that they have all believed yep in the same Savior who came for them, the Son of God. And it is the truth that this is the unity of the church. 
and uh, we would be very, very stupid to forget it. And, and it's not unity that says you're all mindless holes. You're all mindless, you know, bees working around like little drones. I mean, the same Paul who writes that talks about the many different gifts of the Spirit and the many different positions that the church has. He clearly understands that the church is a dynamic body with a lot of different members that do a lot of different things. But that unity that he's talking about is that we find salvation in Christ our Lord. And we don't start putting ourselves up there. We've got to be of one mind understanding that none of us are God. God is God, and we must start with that. Amen. So thank you for joining us. If you have any thoughts, questions, or comments, please reach out to us. You can check out our website, kingdomofthelogos.com. It's new. It's growing. It's getting there. Give us some, some grace on that one. And check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. We're a lot of different places. Download us and take us with you. Grab a link and share it with your friends. If you'd like to donate monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. God love you, and have a blessed day.